Hey, happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the I-5 Corridors Traffic Report. Tyson Alger here, joined by Shane Hoffman. Week five of the college football season is in the books. Shane, uh, you and I haven't really talked about the Oregon game yet, and while there were some probably some better games in the Pac-12 over the weekend, that's where I want to start because uh, Oregon dominated Stanford, and yes, this isn't the same Stanford teams that had Andrew Luck or... Uh, Bryce Love or, you know, like all these kind of great Stanford players in the past, but this is still the Cardinal. It's still David Shaw on that sideline and Dan Lanning and the Ducks, uh, uh, they ran away with that one. And I think kind of the theme of the Pac-12 after this week of football is we're starting to see kind of the cream of the, the conference rise to the top. And um, I think Oregon is is right there in the thick of it right now with uh, USC. That's kind of my takeaway after after uh, that game. Yeah, we had different vantage points. I was in the I wasn't in the student section, but I was near the student section doing a, a piece for the O. But I was also there watching the game. Um, and you were obviously up in the press box. Uh, I had that that Bo Nix eighty yard touchdown. He came right at us because we were near the end zone, so that was kind of a cool angle. Um, and then, you know, really just you wrote about it, but watching watching Bucky Irving run is one of my favorite things in all of college football every weekend. It's, it's a joy. Um, I thought he had more carries than 10, but I mean, God, each one of those are so explosive. Um, and really just as a whole, I mean, this offense, we we keep hitting on it. And I mean, this is the fourth fourth week in a row with 500 plus yards. Um, and they're just putting up crazy numbers. And the defense had a better game. They, you know, they did a thing where they put Ty Thompson in and the offense slows down and the defense gets a touchdown, but that game was, was not even as close as the, as the scoreboard showed and it wasn't particularly close on the scoreboard. I, uh, I'll be the first person to like put my hand up and, and say that I, I didn't do my homework on Bucky Irving. Uh, I, I thought when they added him in May, it was just kind of, you know, at that point we had already seen, and I wrote about this a little bit, but we'd already seen, you know, the, the addition of Whittington and, you know, uh, dollars and, Cardwell and Seven McGee were coming back. And so I just kind of figured this was like an extra guy, uh, especially with missing uh, spring practice. But if you go back and look at his freshman year at Minnesota, I mean, he was averaging around like five yards per carry last year. Um, he went for nearly 700 yards on the season as a true freshman. Um, he's he's built better than Oregon running backs have been recently. He's he's five foot ten, but he's he's pretty close to like 200 pounds. Like he's he's a solid runner, but just his his patience and vision mixed with kind of the experience of Oregon's offensive line right now has just created some absolutely like stellar runs um, of his 48 carries this year. 15 of them have gone for more than 15 yards or uh, more than 10 yards, which is just like crazy efficient. Um, you know, he averaged nearly 10 yards per carry in the Stanford game, but he's at like 7.6 on the season. Um and yeah, just as just as like, you know, Travis Dye and CJ Verdell were both good backs for Oregon, but watching him in this backfield, I just get I just have a kind of a confidence that something's gonna happen more so than uh I remember having in, in recent years with Oregon football. Yeah, I mean the offensive line has been terrific, but every time he runs, he makes a move that that kind of gets me up out of my seat. I mean, he's super fun to watch. I you know I talked to him at Media Day. This super unassuming guy, like almost no one was talking about me today. He's five ten, he's got braces, looks super young, and he's only a sophomore, right? And I was thinking this morning though, like the way the NFL is trending, like they want these running backs that don't have a lot of tread on the tires, and he's kind of fitting that mold. Um, he hasn't displayed a ton yet as a pass catcher, um, but I wonder if he's a guy that actually might end up departing 
earlier um, than maybe people expect just because of the skills he's he's put on display in, in two premier conferences now. And then on top of that, the fact that he just – I mean, what's the most carries he's gotten since he's been in college? Has he even had 20? Probably not, I would imagine. Maybe once yeah. in Minnesota off the check, but – yeah, and, and and that's the thing is is he he came to Oregon to kind of expand his role a bit, and uh, which is a kind of a pretty ballsy decision because he he was in line for more playing time at Minnesota, and he comes comes to a very loaded Oregon backfield, um, and yeah, he he bet on himself and it's working, and you know I I wouldn't be surprised to kind of see him more involved a little bit more in the passing game as well. Because that's probably if if he's going to go to the NFL, like that's that's definitely a part uh, that he'll have to display, especially with his size. But um, yeah, I I know this is kind of beating a, a dead horse, but it's it's actually the opposite of beating a dead horse. But Oregon's offense, um, I, I I don't think it's um, I don't think it's really kind of a blip anymore. I think this is a pretty high high powered offense right now um and it's pretty darn fun to watch you know i i I do still worry a little bit with as as good as bo nicks can be um and especially some of the kind of the big play ability he uh big play ability he's displayed especially with his legs um you know he he still does force some throws that that concern me a little bit especially maybe down the road if it's a close game but uh Right now they're playing so well that it it hasn't really it hasn't really mattered. It, it's kind of like what you wrote about USC weeks ago that you know the offense is playing so well that uh, the the defensive performance doesn't really really matter. Yeah, yeah, and we we've talked how we're not super impressed by the pass rush or the Oregon safeties at times, or really just the DB across from Christian Gonzalez, whoever that's has been and is going to be because he's been so good. But like you said, I don't know if it's going to matter. Um, on the flip side, um, Oregon State is oh, a quarterback man, that away. Was, that was that was that was so rough. Like I, if anybody who like looks at that game, they'll see the score and it was like, what was it like, forty two seventeen or something like that? And they'll, Sixteen like, assume it was or just, something. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll just assume it was a blowout. But like, man, like twice they were picked off in the end zone. They had another pick six. Nolan had. I, I think it was like two of like four throws or something like that were were interceptions. Like Oregon State's defense, just they had no chance to 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 limit uh, Utah after after they were just put in in bad spot after bad spot after bad spot. It's you know you wrote about it last week that they're a quarterback away, and I, I think this week just really emphasized uh, emphasized that point. Yeah, it was it was tough because they throw four picks for the second week in a row between the two of them this time. But yeah, like you said, it was sixteen to I think twenty one maybe, and they're marching in the red zone, and then they throw a pick, and then it was over. And I don't know if they even scored in the second half. I don't think they did actually. Um, so that was tough. And you know, talked about how the rest of the conference has kind of gone into the portal, you know, this off season and has gotten such you know. Kind of, kind of difference-making quarterbacks that have changed their offenses. Um, and then, you know, on the flip side, Oregon State's built this great, great program and everything, but the quarterback just isn't in place. And I, I just think, like I wrote this morning, like if you're Jonathan Smith, like your number one priority this offseason is going to the portal and getting your guy. You know, like if you, if you look at Jonathan Smith's tenure here, like his best quarterback is Jake Luton, who actually if, if he was on this Oregon State team – they'd probably be pretty darn good. But 
Um, you know, I, I think that he can really sell this program and sell it as a, hey, come here, play under us and go to the NFL. Um, but right now, that's that's definitely what they're lacking. Yeah, yeah. And I think like we like we've hit on, there's a lot of selling points for that program if you are a transfer quarterback. Right. Um, it's tough because he was Nolan um, was one of one of the guys that was a mainstay in this conference. Another guy is Dorian Thompson Robinson, who led UCLA to a huge man, you're, win. You're getting good with these segues. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just, trying to yeah, I'm trying to take yeah. some of your shine away. Um, yeah. But I was wrong. I mean, I was just so wrong about Dude, UCLA. That that's that's all I was thinking uh, watching that game was uh, we got to come on the podcast and have you eat a little bit of crow because uh, oh, I mean, and actually, I totally will. Actually, I, am, I yeah. think I, I I think probably both of us like I uh, UCLA is always that team that like probably doesn't I wouldn't say proves you wrong, but like always like makes you lose an argument, and uh, that was kind of them at their best, uh, making you lose that argument there, Shane. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like they hadn't shown anything. So I don't think I was, you know, I was off to have thought that. I mean, he had the quote and I put it in the I-5. Like a lot of people were saying they had the worst 4-0 team in the nation. It wasn't it wasn't just the corridor kind of dumping on them quietly, right? But um, they looked great. I mean, I, you know, Penix actually had a good game aside from his two interceptions. Like you look at the stat line and, and they were in position to actually go down and, and maybe even tie the game at the end there um, if, they, if they had gotten one stop. But yeah, what a, what a performance from UCLA. Um, DTR is really coming to his own. It's weird. He's been there for five years now. Like he's one of those guys that just feels like he's been there for 10. Um, and he's still, I mean, he's a solid player. And if they get good, good runs from some Charbonnet um, and they got some weapons, you, you texted me, you thought that, you know, they have some guys that could give the Oregon DBs some trouble specifically. And all of a sudden that's a really big game coming up in a few weeks. Um, in other PAC 12 news, uh, Colorado fired Carl Dorrell. Um, which isn't surprising considering how bad they've been. Uh, we are kind of seeing like uh, uh, more and more of co- coaches being fired midseason than you probably would, you know, even three, four or five years ago. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with that early signing period uh, in December. Basically, you have to, um, it, it helps to be able to kind of patch that up and say you're on to your new era uh, as you're wrapping up the recruiting season. So, um, tough situation in Colorado, but, uh, hopefully that gets better. But, uh, that was obviously, uh, probably a pretty warranted, uh, of change of direction by the Buffaloes there. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're seeing it everywhere. Even, even with guys that have won, I mean, Wisconsin fired Paul Christ, uh, yeah, that was yesterday that was, or was that, that yeah, was, was yesterday. Nuts. Yeah. And he was, I mean, he was like 60 something in 27, I want to say. I know they hadn't been good this year, but which is crazy. So I'm not at all surprised that the, the Buffs did that. And then I know you want to talk a little bit about just, and you, you mentioned a little bit earlier too, but, you know, doing these power rankings, yeah, we're not doing blurbs. We're just kind of throwing together our teams, but it's kind of interesting just to see how much has shifted the first four weeks. And I think it's going to stop doing as much shifting. Obviously, I think we'll get some mainstays, but we both have Oregon number one. You have USC back up at two. I dropped him down to four because I just, I just haven't been impressed the last two weeks and meanwhile utah and ucla have a lot of momentum uh you know kind of you know really pushing into that game between the two next weekend um do you have any thoughts on just the conference as a whole yeah i the thing is is uh, at the start of the season granted we didn't start doing the power rankings until like week two um i i probably would have had oregon at number one before the georgia game and i just think that that game left such a impression um even though like we knew 
you know, that game shouldn't be the barometer. But that game just like left such an impression that I felt uncomfortable ranking them number one in the Pac-12, especially with some of the scores that USC was putting up. But, you know, the, this, the consistency of Oregon's offense with what I feel like is a defense that's starting to come around a little bit. Um, I liked some of the pressure that the, the front seven generated against Stanford, even though that was a banged up front set or banged up offensive line. Um, I just think the Ducks are the most complete team right now. But, you know, after that, I really think, I still think that you can kind of put any of those top three or four teams uh, in, in any order. I, I, I'm still uncomfortable with UCLA, uh, Washington show. They're not quite there yet. But, uh, um, you know, Oregon, Oregon, UC, Utah, I, I think, I think that's going to be the, the trio that's fighting for it there at the end. Yeah, absolutely. But I will say just this middle stretch of the season, I mean, when's the last time it's been this excited with this many mid-tier ranked teams? Um, can you remember a time? Recently, only, at least? Yeah, not only that, but, like, it's, like, yeah, it's, it's just, like, like no team no team that is kind of in contention or, like, that's kind of good has their season blown up yet. I mean, like, you know, the only, I guess the only real team in the Pac-12 that you could say is, like, really being disappointed or that is disappointing right now is probably Arizona state, but like throw them out and like, you know, Washington's at one loss and that was a conference loss. Like UCLA, no one had that. Uh, Oregon is playing as good as expected. Um, yeah. I, I just think that it's, there's a lot of good storylines for this conference this year. And a lot of it is actually like decent football. Like it's, it's not just mm-hmm. like, it's not just like 65 to 58 shootouts that have like no quality of, of, of play to them. Like it's, it's been pretty, pretty decent football. Yeah, it, it hasn't. This is the nice thing is now we enter the stretch where every single week there's going to be a matchup between, I think, you know, two of probably the top five teams at the conference, at least once a week. Now I have to actually go through and check probably, but you know, next week is uh, Utah at UCLA. And then, you know, two weeks later we get Oregon UCLA. There's some other ones in there. Right. So, um, you know, I know I'm excited. Do you have a, I'm wondering if you were, were five weeks in now, do you have a, a, a bold prediction in that, in that uh, think tank of yours that you're ready to fire off anything you're looking ahead to maybe? Uh, no, but I have, I have a feeling that I have a feeling that Oregon UCLA here in a couple of weeks is going to end up being a pretty memorable, memorable game uh, for one reason or another. Um, if if UCLA is as good as they are, um, boy, that's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of kind of pressure riding on that game for for both sides. You know, Oregon it'd be uh, uh, a top twenty five win at home for a first year head coach, and on the other side, like you know, the <laughs> if UCLA keeps rolling, I mean, like that that would be one of the bigger turnarounds this year in terms of reputation for for somebody like Chip Kelly, who I think a lot of people were justifiably ready to just say like he's kind of lost it and uh um they're definitely proving people wrong right now yeah yeah anything else you want to hit on um i don't know man like it's it's uh october 3rd right now and it's like 85 degrees out what are, like what are you doing down in eugene you're 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 still a young semi-college kid like yeah, like what's, yeah, it's what's, been super what's it, nice. What, what's 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 eighty five degrees in Eugene like for someone like you? It's nice. We don't have AC, um, but what we've been we've been doing, we got our patio all set up. I got a lot more friends that have houses now, so you know stuff like that. You know, still going down to the river every once in a while, just grilling stuff like that. I mean, nothing to complain about on that end. It's been really nice. Um, it's it's 
probably unsustainable, obviously, but <laughs> maybe one more week, two more weeks, who knows? Yeah, we're we're gonna pay with pay for this with like ninety straight days of rain uh, coming up here in uh, October, <laughs> November. So. I will say super quickly. I will say I'm, I'm getting pretty jazzed up for basketball, both for college and for pro. I'm I don't I might be a little bit bigger of a basketball fan than you are. Maybe not. I'm not sure, but I'm I'm pretty excited. I, I've been texting back and forth with uh, Andrew Greif, uh, friend of the friend of the show, who is uh, up in Seattle as the Clippers uh, open their preseason schedule up there. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty jealous not only of the fact that he's around the NBA right now because this is this is a fun time of year to to be a basketball fan, but also uh, Seattle's a pretty great sports town, and uh, I think. I think it was the Clippers or anyways, they, they had all got hooked up with a crack in preseason tickets and they were like a foot or like a, a row or two off the glass. And it was just like, nicely played Greif. It looks like things are going pretty well for you. Do you want to do 30 seconds before we get out of here? Just lead us out with your, uh, your take on the, on the mascot then. Oh man. Like it's, it's so bad and it's not even in like the so bad it's good like category. Like it's just legitimately bad. But I kind of like it just because it, it one it shows that like these these kind of like big, I mean they I don't know how much money they spent on on creating that thing or they said it took eighteen months to to come up with it and like it just shows that no matter how much money you can throw at them like sometimes you just need somebody to look at something and say like Meh, really, um, but yeah I, I I thought it was funny and. It was even better because I texted it to you, and you're not a hockey fan, and you'd said you already saw it. So uh, that that shows it's that. bad. It's 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 pretty <laughs> atrocious. I don't have much but, else to say except for that. Like like you can you can definitely tell that like every mascot that like is created going forward is like trying to be like the next gritty, and uh, that might be the like the worst thing to happen to the mascot game. Uh, and that's why you come and listen to the I-5 Corridor Traffic Report for Mascot Central. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Tyson Alger. Shane, uh, you got anything else? No, I have a surprise article coming this week that I haven't even told you about yet that I think will actually be pretty interesting. It, it's a few different angles. Um, got the local angle, got the uh, the future future uh, looking angle as well. So it should be pretty cool. All right. See you, everybody. Bye.